The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here at Tail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. Elijah Herbal, we are less than a month away. Let the countdown continue. We know the schedule. A week ago, about uh, 11 or so, things started dropping in uh, full view for what 2020 is going to look like for Nebraska. And uh, you know what? Uh, Wednesday, pads can start popping. Good morning to have you in. Can join us today on Hale Varsity, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Find us on Twitter, at Schmidt underscore radio, Chris Schmidt, at Mark Skurs for Mr. Mark Cranach, and at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. Cranach, I'm not going to lie, I tried to... uh, to kind of amp up my uh, tailgate game and get ready for the football. Training is training. And I said, you know what? One bone-in pork chop is great. Two, even better. And in in our life, we've made a choice on a uh, Friday or Saturday night to, to maybe tangle with Jack Daniels. And Jack Daniels is undefeated. Uh, that did not happen last night, but I think I may have overdosed on bone-in pork chop last night. It was great at the time, but man, oh man, uh, you don't mess with the bone-in pork chop in excess, and that may have happened. Hmm, I'm seeing a trend here with you. You know, this kind of happens. Overindulgence? In Over in, overindulgence? Well, a lot of times our checks in the morning on a Saturday, um, <laughs> there will be some sort of commentary on what you ingested the night before. Uh-huh. And how it's giving you tr- trouble today. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Nexium, Tagamit HD. Uh, there's a few different medications out there that you might want to stock know, up on. Or, or just don't try to horse pound a 32 ounce, you know, pork steak. I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't that big, but it was, it was too. I'll send you a picture. And then I put this, this glaze on top that was. A little bit barbecue sauce, a little bit pineapple, and then the the trick with pork is either some sort of, of sweet and salt with it. So you you melt in some some peach preserves and then just glaze it and sear it. Jeez. And it was it was incredible. It, it sounds really good. Oh, and I, I mean, I I did well. The grill did well. The dogs no. were sitting and waiting for a, a handout last night, and it, it it was great. I went to bed at eight thirty, clear mind, and just just racked. <laughs> no game excellent. last night. 
This is excellent. Now, I understand, though, isn't there a regulation or, or something, a law? What, what is it that's passed that says no tailgating? I know. I know. In, is that is that just Lincoln or is that Big Ten Watt? That's Lincoln, right? Lincoln's got some hurdles to clear when it comes to how you gather and watch football and what you want to do as a business to accommodate your patrons. That's 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 the the setup that things and folks are trying to work through. Did we lose you? It, you did momentarily. Uh-huh. I'm back. Gotcha. So yeah, it'll be it'll, it, it'll it'll be interesting. But let's dive in to uh, to the schedule. A lot's been talked about. A lot's been made. I'm excited for this, man. Uh, not only is it football, but those first four. I'm excited to work through the different scenarios. The dream would be two and two or three and one. The surprise would be four and zero, oh, and the reality may be one and three, two and two, or worse. So we were spending a little bit of time here on some of those coin flip games yesterday, and our old buddy Bill Dolman, the pride of Fairbury, made a really good point with you know kind of his outlook on on twenty twenty and what you want to see and. He he was right about the fact where how about how about just some good old fashioned separation right where you're you're trailing a ball carrier and I always think of this play for Nebraska football uh, years 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 ago where Dan Alexander gets a handoff in Boulder and the Buffs had this four two four one forty guy defensive back named Kelly and Ben Kelly. Yeah, nope. Ben Kelly went first round because of his speed. And Danimal is, you know, 240, 6'2". Dan, Dan Alexander was just a athletic freak. And you've got this big old just pickup truck that has, you know, a, a V15 in the engine. And at the 50, you see Dan Alexander separate from arguably the fastest man in the Big 12 and take it to the end zone. That type of separation. And when we talk about Nebraska in Big Ten standing, I think the point was well illustrated yesterday about the the time is now for Nebraska to separate from some of these schools that have been big-time headaches. Northwestern, Indiana's been pretty good against Nebraska, uh, Purdue, Illinois, even though Nebraska's won two of their last three against the Illini, or three of their last four, they have been a bit tight. Uh, I know Iowa and Wisconsin are who you got to beat to to be a West Division champ. Minnesota's in there as well, but Minnesota's in a little bit different tier in a lot of people's minds. So can separation happen with Nebraska on those, uh, we're going to air quote, games they're supposed to win Teams they're supposed to beat because of who Nebraska's reputation and history is compared to some of the teams in the league that you just don't have a whole heck of a lot of respect for based on their history. Uh, history doesn't play and kick off. Uh, it's it's the current here and now team that does. And can Nebraska 
navigate a really jam-packed schedule with the ups and downs of, yes, you've got the Blue Bloods and the division favorites uh, intertwined with some of those teams that have given Nebraska trouble. And I'm interested to go there this morning. Do you think Nebraska's going to be better and ready to, uh, to win the games they're supposed to win and compete a little bit better and maybe take that next step to get some wins against the teams that have really held Nebraska, ta- held Nebraska down in their, uh, in their transition to the league. And I'm talking the Ohio States, the Iowas, and uh, Wisconsin's. It, it wasn't always a problem to beat Iowa. It was hard fought and well fought. And then the last five seasons, it's been the other way. Nebraska seems to have gotten a little bit closer to Wisconsin. They played Wisconsin well in the Riley era. They've done well offensively in the Frost era. But it kind of comes down to defense and that good old-fashioned stopping the run issue. Uh, I'm interested here. 466-377-6800-825. Yes, special teams is key. Special teams is key. As you look at the schedule and you've had a week to digest, you know, Reaction first from you. Secondly, uh, can you see a, a different Nebraska here in 2020? Here's the – all right. So the, the the ones that jump out the most to me, the the toss-ups, I guess you would call them, or the divisional games or the, the ones where Nebraska just doesn't get murdered. Basically, let's take Ohio State off the table. Sure. All right. If you, if you win that one, fantastic. But – Let's be real. It's unlikely. That's that's okay. a go that's a go play well and get some confidence yeah, ball game. It is what it is, right? It's Ohio State and sure we, we can probably talk ourselves into how Nebraska beats Ohio State. It's on the road. There's no fans. Three weeks we'll we'll do that. Yeah, but let's let's take that off the table. I mean it's really Wisconsin and Iowa, I think, are the ones that jump out the most. And you look at how they've played them the last couple of years. Wisconsin's had, had what, a 17-point win two years ago mm-hmm. um, against Frost, 16 points last year. I think last year's a lot closer, if not, for that special team's kickoff return. Sure. I think I flipped the entire game. It, flipped, it changed everything. Nebraska had just scored, had some momentum. was looking Tied good. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Kickoff return, good night. Iowa? Dude, that's been a three-point game two years in a row. Well, it's it's been a it's been a double digit deficit, and then an insane fourth quarter rally the last two years. But I'm just saying, it's not like Iowa's just trounced. It, it was it was nothing like you know the the 2017 Iowa game with right. Noah Fant running free <laughs> and everybody else doing what they wanted to do. Right, like that. That's Think about Noah right Fant to. sending you know his film out to NFL teams. He just sent three Nebraska games. I, you could have. Uh, so I, it's it's really those two. And I I don't think there's a huge gap between Nebraska and Iowa. Is there program-wise? Yes, definitely. In terms of you know getting W's, in terms of uh, uh, a well-laid identity, physicality, solid, right? There, there are program differences. But when they've met up on the field, Nebraska doesn't look out classed or outmatched against Iowa. They just don't. They have had trouble stopping the run. But, you know, that's sort of what Iowa does is they make it difficult for you to stop the run. So they, they've been able to do what they want to do. So I don't know. After it, Iowa doesn't scare me. 
right? Like a few years ago, they did. You're just sort of like, oh god, this is going to be terrible. They're going to they're going to absolutely destroy Nebraska. But you you don't get that sense anymore. So I feel like that gap is closed a little bit. I feel like Wisconsin. I keep waiting for them to just take a step back. I don't it think it's going to happen as long as as long as the Godfather's AD. Yeah, it's yeah. But you know they do have, they did have a generational back that helped. You know, <laughs> they've John had a line of generational backs. Yeah, they, they, they've they've yeah, done okay they do. there. <laughs> they do. No, totally. So that one worries me a little bit too, obviously. But so, but I guess if you just look at the schedule on a whole, I, it's really though there's, you know, Ohio State and Penn State just seem like definite losses. Okay. Good. Prove us wrong, right? Like it'd be great. Would be fantastic if, if if they were not definite losses, and then Wisconsin's a probable loss, and then everything else I don't think is. I'm not saying it's a definite win, right? Is I mean, is that sort of how you see it? Like it's 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 five and three if things go well. Yeah, no, that could be could be three and five if they don't. Well, and that's I'm trying to find that airspace where. You know, this bed's too soft, this bed's too hard, this bed's just right. And I think Husker fans would take four and four, but three and five may not look good on paper, but, huh. well, just walk with me here. Three. And <laughs> it definitely won't, but... <laughs> right, but I'm saying if, if, if we're talking they're all 27-24s, yeah, yeah. you're, you're taking on five top... Top twenty teams. We don't know where Nebraska's at in that top twenty realm yet. Could they get there? Sure. If everything goes right and the the lines of scrimmage are better and you get freshman Adrian and you get end of season Diedrich Mills and I mean, Nebraska's got a really talented team. And Nebraska's got some really young, talented kids on the roster that are gonna be able to to use this year. And and not have the clock start on their eligibility. So I mean, I'm 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 buying a lot of stock in the future, and I know it's going into year three. But I'm I'm excited to see these kids just go compete. I think this team can go play free. I think they can go absolutely play free and do their best and and find a, find a win against a really good team on the schedule. Where either they got to come back and they finish, or from kickoff to final gun, they they control it, and they are confident in in holding a lead and not puckering. Okay, and and they make the right adjustments to to maintain a lead or add to a lead, or they've got to figure out a way to to come back after momentum has shifted. And I thought last year, there's been a couple of games in the Frost era where I said, okay, this might be one of those corner-turning wins, okay? And and I look at the, the snow game against Sparty, right, as good as that defense was, the way they won, 9-6, to six, right? I mean, we're talking just snow slugfest, Big Ten, late November. And then I look at the Illinois game, and, you know, Illinois proved to be you know, nothing you sneeze at win-wise. Early season, mid-season, you're like, well, hey, at least they won. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later after the Nebraska game, Wisconsin gets vanquished by Illinois on a, on a Saturday afternoon that completely blows up 
you know, a, a really talented potential second Big Ten playoff team. I mean, that, that's that's what happened in Champaign that that Friday afternoon, that Saturday afternoon with with Wisconsin going down. So I look at the way they had to go win the the Illinois game last year, and I'm like, okay, uh, Boulder did not cripple them mentally. They bounced back against Illinois. All right, see what happens, and then. It, it didn't become a, a regular thing. It was just an in-the-moment situation where Nebraska found a way. So it, it doesn't always just apply. I mean, that's what the reality of 2020 is going to be. You, you can't just go through with ink or pencil and say win-loss, win-loss. It is going to be a week-to-week thing, in all honesty. But I'm wondering if, if one of these games on the schedule uh, turns into, all right, this is this is that – and I don't want to go signature win, but it's that it's that moment, right? It's it's almost like a, a Florida State Nebraska Orange Bowl moment where oh, okay, we can play with these teams. We're just as good as them. We just need to be a little better here X Y and Z. That's where I'm wondering if 2020 can take us. Well, and you'll have a you'll have three opportunities for that early in the season. Sure. You know, I I think Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State in four weeks. To open the season. So to your point about the three and five um, might not look good on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this isn't, that's not to, there's a fine line too. I think Nebraska's caught some heat this week, even from some of its own fans, about the lament of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I think it's misplaced because I think it's, is is it wrong to be honest anymore? Like, can you just do that? <laughs> can, can we just appreciate the fact that Bill Moose just says it like it is like he's like yeah you know paraphrasing but he's basically like yeah that schedule sucks dang like that's gonna be really that's a really hard schedule which is the exact same thing coach frost is thinking well right it's a schedule yeah it's the schedule you had all right instead of ending with it and ramping up for it you start with it Uh, yeah exactly it's there's nothing wrong with being honest about that people are like oh play whoever's on the schedule of course, you are going to do that physically. You're definitely going to play whoever's on the schedule. Nobody's complaining about that. But there is literally nobody else in the conference that has that tough of a slate. And it's not even close. Like, literally. So, and to observe that and to, and to maybe speak out against that for a few seconds, it's not like they're boycotting the schedule. It's not like they're protesting the schedule. They're just... Being honest, just saying that's a tough schedule, and people are like, "Oh, well." Here's God. here's the way I looked at it. All right, and maybe my beer is always too half full, but is as big a struggle as Nebraska's had the last few years, trying to find their footing, trying to make the climb, and then thankfully getting Frost in here. Um, the the reality has been, you know, Nebraska's kind of been an afterthought nationally. People are waiting to see it. Locally, folks are excited and anticipating waiting to see breakthrough and then maintenance or maintaining that 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 spot of contender and eventual favorite, right? Well, the reality is Nebraska's just not been on that same level and they're getting there. And Nebraska still carries some weight with eyeballs and brand name. And that is why the schedule happened the way it happened, because the TV folks are like, 
well, Iowa's pretty good and Wisconsin's pretty good, but folks still tune in to watch Nebraska. We're about making dollars. We're about getting eyeballs. And three out of these first four weeks, the the people want to see Nebraska. This is a, this is too good to be true with the two loudest teams to return to play. Let's smack dab a middle in noon kickoff time. National audience, Ohio State, Nebraska, go. I mean, look at Nebraska last year. Hell, they landed game day for Ohio State. And usually that's like a team's, you know, ranked in the teens, and, and this could be their, their pop moment. We know where Nebraska was heading into Ohio State. They were over 500, but they weren't knocking on a door of a New Year's Day 6. A win against Ohio State would have propelled them, yeah, but it wasn't. It was mid-October, and it was kind of a make-or-break. Either you fall off the diving board or you you uh, you dive beautifully into the water. We know what happened. <laughs> so it's it's, it's, so it's Nebraska's it's, it's, job. It's it's their it's their brand appeal still that helped get them these opportunities. That's now cool. It's their, now it's their job to to have a steady enough program or, or as steady a program as an Iowa or a Wisconsin. Right. Compete. To where, May have lost Mark. He said he's having some... Oh, wait. No, wait. No, he didn't. Sorry. Um, Computer, man. 2020 continues. Um, Got to figure this thing out. Uh, But, right? So, if you're you're Wisconsin or Iowa, you know in those moments, you're going to likely acquit yourself well. Mm -hmm. Sure. You're not going to get blown out. Like, occasionally it happens to to both of those teams, but not, not, not too often. Not really in an embarrassing fashion. And it's and it's it's never like a forty-five point loss where you just kind of question everything <laughs> with either of those teams. It's a dismantling, that's, right? Right. That, that's Nebraska's job now. Just get to that point. Get to that point. And it and it feels like that's where things are heading. Is it going to be obvious this year? Can you? Here's another question. Can you even put any stock in what you see this year, just considering everything that's going on around it, whether it's schedule, whether it's COVID? interruptions to the seas like i don't know how much stock i can put in this whole thing anyways well for, for, i i can for, i can put you know, stock like you expect are, are are they just going to go through the just uninterrupted just play eight games and by the way it's just eight games it's not i don't 12. i don't i don't think i don't think there are some schools committed and devoted enough to to do that with their student athletes honestly so uh, but I think Nebraska and Iowa and Wisconsin and Ohio State and Penn State, yeah, they, they'll they'll get a lot of games. Now, some may be out of their control uh, with their opponent, but I think from a program standpoint, they're ready. Kradak will uh, step away, rewind with Tim Brando. You work on your computer, Big Cat, and uh, we'll be ready to rock. Weekend edition, Hale Varsity continues. Tim Brando, the rewind's up next. with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. 
Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's get caught up with uh, play-by-play man for Fox. You're going to see him with Texas, Texas Tech this weekend. Great to have college football back. Tim Brando with us. You also see him on the NFL with Fox. Tim, a pleasure to spend uh, a few minutes with you. Thanks for your time. How's your day? Great. You know, every day's a, <laughs> a, new, a new discovery, it seems, turning around for this Texas, Texas Tech game. Uh, you know, we're all going through different adjustments and adaptations. I can tell you, I just had my first home rapid COVID test. This is my third test in uh, 14 days now, going back to the Kansas game that uh, started our season. And, and of course, I had one last week that I had to get prior to going to the NFL game. And this week, because of the quick turnaround and I'm driving out on Thursday, I'm going to drive to Lubbock. I just felt like, and, and I still do feel like, uh, if, if your only option is a plane that's completely full, and that's the case with Lubbock, there are not many flights in there. Mm. I'm just going to drive and stay safe. I want to keep getting negatives. You know, negatives means positive. I get to I get to work. So, <laughs> so I'm going to drive out on Thursday. I had to do it at home. This is the first time I've actually done one of these at home. You know, you freeze it and wait for the courier to come and pick it up. And it's just, you know, the world we live in today. And at the same time we were Zooming, I just tweeted out a short time ago that um, Spencer Tillman was actually in the barbershop in Houston, just outside Houston in Sugarland, And we found out that we had... Uh, an opportunity to Zoom chat with both uh, Texas and Texas Tech players today. And so we had to, you know, make the change there and just do it on the fly. It makes for a fun-filled day. You just don't know what to expect every day when you wake up. We'll talk to the coaches later in the week, but it's, you know, you always want to have access to the guys you're covering, and these young men are the people that you're talking about. So it was great to have a chance to chat with them, and uh, kudos to both schools for allowing that to happen. King of the Rapid Test, Tim Brando, at Tim Brando's, where you find him on Twitter. Tim, a lot's happened, and I want to kind of get your take. You've covered college football for a number of years. What's your view? What's your takeaway with Nebraska as part of this saga with the Big Ten and return to play? Well, I appreciate your uh, being kind to me on my my years in it because it's it's actually getting close to a handful of decades that I've been doing this. But I still feel young and spry and still believe my best games are ahead of me at this stage of my career. I flat out love what Nebraska did. And I, I think they and, and Ohio State, all the players really, that have fought to play. I think uh, in just chatting with the kids at Texas and Texas Tech uh, today, they, the level of uncertainty they had, all the things that they went through, fans and people that are not necessarily understanding of sports, or they just look at it as entertainment for them. They'll believe they comprehend the hoops these guys jump through just to be able to get out on the field and play. You know, they were told back in March, back in the spring, about spring break time, which was when I was told at Madison Square Garden to stop broadcasting at halftime of the Big East tournament, they were told to go home and don't come back. They were told, don't come to the facilities, don't work out with your teammates. Everything that was controlled within the weight room process, they were outlawed from it, couldn't go there. So they had to find other ways to keep themselves in shape with the understanding that they plan on playing football for a a long time to come. In each case, all the players that are there, and I think this is certainly true at Nebraska, they held fast and they followed the protocols and they did what was asked of them. By the time they got back a couple of months later, they were under 
strict protocols that they, they knew they had to follow, and the coaching staff assured them if they did everything and followed the rules that they were going to have a chance to play. When they were suddenly thrown under the bus on August the 11th and the decision was made, I thought very prematurely by the Big Ten, they had to be just incredibly disappointed. What do you do? How do you respond to that kind of disappointment? Do you get angry? Do you just uh, pack your bags and go home? No, you fight. You fight. And that's what they did. I applaud their efforts. Uh, and really the, the people that will buy their sides, their parents, their coaches, uh, in some cases from an administrative standpoint, as was the case at Nebraska and certainly at Ohio State and several others, their administrations got behind them. Without that kind of work ethic, we wouldn't be talking about Big Ten football coming back at the end of October. And we are. You know, they fought the establishment and they won. And I think they're to be congratulated. With every effort, though, they're always going to be dissenters. Anyone that works hard to get where they want to go uh, will find out fast in our country that not everyone appreciates your work ethic. Not everyone is going to applaud your efforts. Uh, That's just part of life. Uh, And there are many with philosophical viewpoints that uh, are far different from those players, those administrators, maybe even the sportscaster. <laughs> and you've got to understand that that's, that that's not going to change. You're not going to change the minds of those that believe uh, we shouldn't be playing. But in truth, you're playing because of the efforts you made and the way that you were able to make those that had said, not only were you not going to play, but within 24 hours of that, put out a letter saying it will not be revisited. So to, to go up against that and to get the, the minds to change of, of the conference and the conference office, and by the way, I give them credit too. I, I give Kevin Warren and the people at the Big Ten who, who came back to this and said, you know what, uh, we need to revisit this. Things have changed in the last five weeks. I give them credit too. Um, minds can be changed, but it's going to take effort to get them to change. And... Uh, I thought Nebraska and was at the forefront of that, and, and certainly Justin Fields at Ohio State. You know, Chris, you can make a case. No player has more to lose by playing this year than Justin Fields. I mean, he's he was a guaranteed number one draft pick, probably the first quarterback to be taken. If not Trevor Lawrence, certainly he's right after him. Uh, so you can make a case that uh, from his position right now, from a draft stock standpoint – he stood a better chance of dropping in the draft than gaining. And yet he was the most fervent of players saying, uh, you know, I'm putting my foot down and saying I'm not going to stand for this. Uh, we're going to fight to get back on the field. So uh, that, that's, that's one that jumps out at, in my mind, and I think he speaks for uh, the greater good of not only uh, his teammates at Ohio State, but for all of college football that had taken – uh, the beating, and they've been told that they weren't going to play this year. Tim Brando is with us, uh, play-by-play man with Fox College Football NFL at Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim, you've seen a lot of co- coaches come and go. Where are you at on Scott Frost uh, as he enters into year three at Nebraska? The schedule was, le- was released. It's not a, it's not an easy schedule to start <laughs> out for Nebraska. But Husker fans' reaction has been, "Bring it on! Let's see where this team's at." Yeah. And uh, as you look at Coach Frost, uh, what are you thinking about this year and beyond? There's a lot of support in red here in this state, but from a national perspective, I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Well, he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, I think I, I gave him the uh, – I hexed him. I jinxed him, I think, a little bit uh, when I was on hand for the very first game he was going to coach. And he, he brought the team out to a thunderous roar. And we had a kickoff. Uh, and then after the kickoff, the, 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 the clouds broke. And we had a storm the, yeah. unlike any other I think they've ever seen in Lincoln didn't get the game in and then the season didn't go well and last year it wasn't much better but I, I do believe that he's not only a, a, a transcendent coach I think he's a coach that ultimately will uh, bring Nebraska back to its lofty perch uh, in college football I, I really mean that uh, I called him this generation's Nick Saban uh, and and I've gotten a lot of heat for it uh, you mentioned Twitter. I've gotten my share of heat for it because of the seasons that he's had the last two years. Uh, I had him in my preseason top ten last year, and it obviously didn't work out. The breakthrough team out of the Western Division, as it turned out, was Minnesota. Um, I think with the original schedule Nebraska had, uh, I really like their chances of, of really turning it around this year, You know, having a bowl season. Uh, now, with the, the schedule changing and – they didn't get any favors from the conference office, no doubt about that. And, and you know what? That's true at a lot of other places in big leagues where they're playing conference-only schedules. Uh, the SEC, I thought, did its best to protect its best, mm-hmm. which you have to understand is in the best interest of the league. Ohio State, um, without question, and Penn State are the two teams that lead the way in the, uh, in the, in the Big Ten. And, and Alabama, LSU, Georgia – uh, lead the way, I think, uh, in the SEC. And I thought the SEC did their best to protect Alabama and LSU as much as they could, though at some point you're going to have to play some really great teams in that league. Um, the lesser lights of those conferences, uh, the Missouris, the Arkansas's, uh, by example, in the SEC, and I think to some extent Nebraska uh, in the Big Ten got very, very difficult draws. But I do believe that they're capable of uh, getting through the season with, um, you know, a, a, a great turnaround. I think they have a chance to win uh, certainly more than they did a year ago. And if they had more games, I think they could put themselves in a, in a nice bowl game. I, I, I would uh, stay away from predicting a number sure. against that schedule because it's, it's, a, it's a conference-only schedule. And with COVID, we just don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's changing every week. Uh, you just saw the story today about Notre Dame not practicing. So we all have to understand that every week is an adventure. But I, I really believe that they're on the precipice of something great. And once we get back to a point where um, we have the no- normal 12-game season and the um, non-conference games to help get you ready for the start of the Big Ten season, I think Nebraska in coming years, the next three or four years, is going to be a major factor in college football again, and I, I think Frosty is the reason why. And the consistency that comes from having him from a recruiting standpoint and and just the, the fit, you know, I think finally fans of Nebraska feel like they can really line up behind their guy. And that has really not been the case uh, since since Frank Solich was gone. And, you know, Frank, I thought, uh, unfortunately, was, was shown the door too soon. Uh, I think that he was he was never going to be Tom Osborne, but I think the administration didn't support him. And I'm not sure if the coaches 
that followed him had similar support either. But I know Frosty does, and the, the, the reality is he's ready for this. He's already been a successful coach. And when people say, well, UCF is not uh, you know, a power five job, well, look at the way they're playing now. Look at what he left for uh, Josh Heupel and the job that UCF is still doing. I'd say that's big-time football. Scott knows how to win, and uh, he no doubt, in my opinion, will at Nebraska. Tim Brando with us from Fox, uh, play-by-play man, college football and the NFL, at uh, Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim, this time of year, I would have my annual phone call with Bino Cook. He'd answer his phone <laughs> in, his, in his apartment in Pittsburgh and go, Lieutenant Columbo. Oh, uh, yeah. And we would talk, uh, we would talk Nebraska. There would be some stories about Devaney that I, I ended up not being able to air, but I love <laughs> I love talking to to Bino Cook. And yeah. now that I've had a chance to, to spend a few minutes with you, I'd love a thought or two from you. You had a lot of years with Bino at ESPN. Well, I wouldn't be where I am in college football today without the years spent with Bino. We had two of the greatest years that I've ever had in college football when we began college game day with a young a young guy to television but an old coach named Corso who auditioned <laughs> who auditioned with me and he's the only thing left from our I hope Lee stays uh, on game day, if, they, if, they, if he's propping himself up from a Barker lounger at home in Orlando just to put the, the headgear on at the end of the show, that's fine with me because having some lasting piece of, of that period with Bino still on the game day set uh, it just makes me feel all good inside. I mean, it really does. And Lee has always been quick to point out uh, those early days, and not everyone does uh, in our business, and it really means a lot. Bino was just a... a a crown jewel. He was a national treasure. He appreciated when I started out. And I got to him in my early 30s. I was 30, 31 years old when we started game day. I'd begun at ESPN in 85, and I was out calling games. And then they asked me to do the sidelines and host from the site in 1986. And I didn't realize at that time that 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 they were grooming me for this new show that they were going to start the following year called College Game Day. And it was going to be the first ever hour-long pregame show for college football. Not even in the days of Beans with Jim Lampley uh, at ABC did they have a pregame show. They just came on the air, went to the the game site, and then you saw them at halftime or on the Prudential College scoreboard Mm -hmm. uh, after the game was over, but they never had a pregame show. Bino was was the first to say, Prato. Listen, if I go 6-0 with my picks, I'll buy you breakfast next week. But if I don't go 6-0, you've got to buy breakfast every week because it's my my pearl of wisdom. My pearls of wisdom are going are to make you great, but you've got to pick up the check. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it, it, and he did. He passed along many pearls of wisdom to me uh, that stay with me until this day. Uh, Whenever I give uh, games, whenever my start time for a football game comes up, I'll always say, uh, join us at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central, 11 Mountain. He used to always say, for crying out loud, they never give the mountain time zone. (laughs) If you're in Utah, what are the people in Utah thinking? Okay, what time is... Do they even care? <laughs> so I'm always thinking about uh, beans, regardless of uh, you know, how it comes up. It might be with Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, something happens with Notre Dame. Or I'm calling a Notre Dame game. 
and uh, he'll say something along the lines. I'll never forget him saying, uh, Holder Tape has the best home field advantage since the Kremlin. Uh, (laughs) And uh, maybe one of the greatest plays of all time, the Bowden-Ruski that that Bobby Bowden ran once to beat Clemson. Yeah, the fake Uh, punt, right? The fake punt that he said. uh, We're we're in the the set, and he says, Timmy, that's the greatest play since my fair lady. <laughs> so that's my best Beano for you there. That's pretty good. Tim Brando's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Tim, uh, last thought, and I'll let you go. And it's awesome to spend a few minutes with you. Thanks so much. You're close to the LSU program. What do you What do you look at for LSU? I know they open up with the Pirate this weekend. Yeah. And uh, they they've lost a lot, but they've got a lot of talent. It's kind of Nebraska South down there with Coach Bo down there and yeah. uh, some assistance. But uh, what, what's your outlook for the Tigers this year? Well, that, that's going to be an interesting thing to, to watch is uh, they adopt the Bo Pelini 4-3. Now, you know, Coach O is uh, tight with Pelini. Uh, and, who, I mean, you can't find a better uh, guy to work for than Orgeron. And I know Pelini probably feels like he's captured lightning in a bottle to get back to coaching thoroughbreds like the ones recruited to LSU. You know, he had um, a lot to do with that national championship victory over Ohio State which meant a lot to him when he was working for Les Miles. Um, and they got that title back in 2007. And as you recall, he, he, he said he would not leave and come fully to Nebraska until that title game was over. I think that now, given the losses that they incurred, they've only got six starters remaining from the first 22 that they had a year ago. But as I tell people, and this is why I've got them still in my top four, um, Miles Brennan is ready. I mean, to run this offense. And the offense, even without Joe Brady, who's gone to the Carolina Panthers, this offense is going to be fine with Scott Linehan in his position and with Steve Insminger, who who was the co-author of that offense with Brady, is still the play caller and still in the position to make it happen. So I don't think that they skip a beat. I mean, this system is intact. Some of the names have changed, and obviously the loss of, Edwards Hilaire to, to the Chiefs, and obviously uh, a wide receiver like Jamar Chase, who's decided to opt out. You're looking at uh, new names, uh, guys that have to replace the Justin Jeffersons of the world that I, I just saw in, in Indianapolis last week. It will be, it'll take some getting used to the new names, but I'm here to tell you they're deep. They're three deep at every spot. And this is why I love them, and I still think that they can co- contend for the playoff. Now, you know, the SEC is so good. Chris, and I believe with the abbreviated schedules, this may be true in the Big Ten as well. You know, you could have Ohio State and Penn State with each having a loss. Maybe somebody else gets into the mix. Maybe it is Minnesota again. But in the SEC, the thought of a two-loss champion, given how the schedule may cannibalize that league, I mean, ten games, all all conference games, the potential of Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, all being in contention and all with one loss, say, late in the year, I think is legitimate. There's a chance that you could have an SEC team with one loss and maybe an SEC team with two losses, you know, getting into this playoff because of the strength of their schedule. A lot will depend, I think, on what happens with the group of five leagues like the Cincinnati's, UC. 
UCFs and, and Louisianas, you know, that have already made a mark, but they don't have anybody to play in their own league that, that comes to the level of SEC or Big Ten opposition. So multiple teams out of that conference, and with one of those multiple teams being the defending champion, I think is the potential is real for that to happen. And the Big Ten, I think, is another league that comes into that category. But this is going to be a strange year unlike any other. And with that in mind, I think the chances for a team that still has, even though 16 of their starters are gone, so many of those backups played appreciable time, and they have taken the path all the way to the title. And that bodes well, I think, in a year that is so bizarre and so up for grabs like uh, the COVID-19 year that college football is involved in. Tim, we'll do this again. Thanks so much for your time. It was wonderful to chat some college ball with you. Don't ever change. Don't ever change. But if you do, don't let Stephanie Powers watch. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) All the best. Take care. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Two weekend edition back at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Into hour two. Good stuff from Tim Brando on the rewind. Doubling down on his take on Frost. Mark Cranach is back. Cranach, did you threaten? No. He, he still got issues with the computer. He's not hearing any audio at the moment. So. And you're punched up correctly. I'm punched up. I have not changed anything from the first hour. So. Okay. Okay. So, Mark Cranach is screaming at his computer right now. God bless him. We say hi to Brandon Vogel, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogues, uh, the SEC gets rolling. We're uh, three weeks from football in Lincoln, or at least in Columbus, but you know what I mean. Uh, should be pretty good. Are, are you uh, geared up, my friend? We'll get into schedule and some of the most important Huskers, all that good stuff in a moment. But you know what? It was always a, a good Saturday afternoon when we got to see the Polini D versus the Leach offense, and that returns to college football today, man. It does. It feels a little bit exciting to uh, to have the SEC back. Uh, you look down the list of schedule for for today. Uh, just did that that's this morning to kind of remind myself and game plan for for which which game <laughs> takes a top spot in each each broadcast window. And LSU Mississippi State is up there. I think that's that's pretty fascinating. Um, we'll see what Mississippi State can do against the LSU team that has to replace quite a bit. I'm pretty excited to, to watch Tennessee-South Carolina. I think that's an interesting game uh, this evening. And then Kentucky-Auburn kick things off, I think, right away at, uh, at 11 a.m. So we'll have uh, SEC kind of wall-to-wall today. And you know, one of the, the upsides of an all-conference schedule is, man, all, all these games are pretty good. Oh, and Iowa, Iowa State-TCU. I'm pretty interested to take a, take a look at that one as well. That'll be really good. Cranach, are you back? Do you have a new computer? I think so. Does everybody hear me? Yes, we got you, and you got us. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. 2020 went all 2020 on my computer, and um, so we're all switched up uh, machine-wise and, and otherwise. Um, Brandon, it, doesn't it feel like – it's not like it's all about the SEC, but it kind of feels like this is like the real start of football. 
<laughs> doesn't it? I mean, it's just just looking yeah. at the names that you're going to see. It's just finally. It does feel that way, and I, I, I kind of did. I think the same thing you just did. I kind of had to check myself and be like, "Wait, I mean, there are other leagues. Uh, Big Ten's going to come back eventually. Pac-12's coming back." Um, but for some reason, this and you know, I think uh, with the omnipresence of the SEC network, just because it's an ESPN partner, you know, throughout the week you get a lot of that coverage that that kind of leaks into to what should be kind of a national national college football coverage. Uh, but as the kind of the new kid in class this week, uh, it was even a little bit extra. So I think as we as we go on, you know, it'll be interesting to see if in three weeks we feel the same sort of excitement around the Big Ten. I mean, I know we will locally, um, but we'll, we'll you have this kind of like, hey, what, what, welcome back to school, guys. Uh, and I think you'll you'll get a little bit of that. Brandon Vogel's with us, managing editor, HailVarsity.com and magazine at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. You read his book. If you haven't purchased his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. So, Vogues, uh, as we turn our attention to Nebraska, uh, we've kind of gone through who you should beat, kind of the probable, the uh, the hopeful, and the no-shot uh, portions of the Nebraska schedule. It's been a week. You've had a chance to digest and sift through. Level of optimism for Nebraska 2020 when you look at this slate. It's still relatively high, and it's going to be tough to to match that up with a with a record over over eight games. I mean, four and four, I think. Could be a, a really good season for Nebraska, depending depending on, upon the context. Of course, that, that's always the key thing. But um, you got so aside from really Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State, where where those three will be pretty deserving favorites, um, and then Illinois, and to a little bit lesser degree, Purdue, where Nebraska will be a pretty deserving favorite. You're left with three toss-up games, and that's that's probably where uh, Nebraska's season is going to be decided. H- how do you do in those games? Uh, can you, you know, pull off one of those upsets in, in one of those games where you might be more than a touchdown underdog? And, and we'll see. But it's it's really kind of Iowa, Minnesota, Northwestern that I think are really going to tell the true tale uh, to the degree that there is one of this 2020 season for the Huskers. You know, there were a bunch of illogical games last year. I think. The two that stand out to me the most are probably Minnesota and I and, and Ohio State, just because of, you, you know, you, you figured how Nebraska would play in year one under Frost, just decimates Minnesota, goes toe to toe with Ohio State. Year two, you think they would take like the next step, in some way, and of course they get drilled by Minnesota and absolutely humiliated by Ohio State. What Nebraska team do you think we see this year against Ohio State? Because it is very difficult to gauge if Nebraska is actually more like the the team that played them in 2018 or, and closer in that way, or the the distance is so vast like what we saw last year. Yeah, I, in one key regard, I think it's it's certainly closer to 2018 in that. There aren't a ton of there aren't the expectations there for Nebraska to kind of like okay go out and show that you're getting closer to this program kind of mm. the, the the sterling example of Big Ten football for the past however many years now you can kind of it's a little closer to 2018 you can just go out and be like hey isn't it great to be back 
and, and take a swing at a team. Like Ohio State's going to be really good. Everyone, everyone, everyone knows that. But you think back to that team last year, and just think back to the tone of Scott Frost's post-game comments. And you know, we were talking about like Ohio State being historically good. <laughs> you know, and it ended up being LSU that kind of took that title, but. That was that was Ohio State for everything leading up to the playoff was man look at, at you just look at their offensive numbers and their defensive numbers and the scoring differential and, and they were on a historic pace. I have a hard time seeing Ohio State being quite that good. So you get that first game after everything everyone's went through to get there, and I feel like Nebraska should have the ability to swing pretty freely in that one, which which puts it a little bit closer to 2018, which you know, that year was just like, okay, got to go to got to go to the big house, or got to go to the horseshoe now, and, uh, and and try and do that. And Nebraska played one of its best games of that first year. Yeah, just to jump in here real mm-hmm. quick, Chris, I, I think within there, without saying it, Brandon, the little undertone I'm getting is, you don't believe Nebraska. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But Nebraska wasn't ready for all that smoke as it, as it relates to game day and the pomp and circumstance and the expectations. So do you think that played a role in the on-field performance for Nebraska, just kind of the, the stakes? Maybe a little bit. You know, it was just – it was clear all week leading up to that game and really from the moment that Nebraska kind of escaped against Illinois and ESPN announced – uh, Lincoln was hosting game day for the first time in however long. Um, it, it, it just carried with it something extra. And, and, and I, I don't want to say, like, well, that's why Nebraska didn't play very well. Uh, it didn't play very well because <laughs> it didn't play very well. And Ohio State played great. And you had, you know, I remember going back and watching that game over the summer, and you had that kind of five play, let's get in the eye formation a little bit. And after you've already turned the ball over twice, uh, if you just if you get a, get a touchdown there or even get some points there, um, it's fourteen three or fourteen seven, and it, it feels a little bit like okay, you took some heavy blows <laughs> right after right after the start of the first round, but maybe now you can you can you've recovered and gathered yourself and, and can take some swings here, and and that interception with the way that it happened to you was was really deflating and. Sometimes, you know, it just seemed like Ohio State, you can't spot them a two-touchdown lead. So it got out of control earlier and probably looked worse than it actually had the potential to be. You are so right about the snowball uh, that happened in that game where you're going option football. Uh, it's let's, uh, let's pull a, uh, a Jimmy V slash uh, Coach K timeout here to stop the momentum stop the run like like a basketball timeout but Ryan Day burned it and you know on third and eight you get a ball that's behind and then tipped to Wandale and uh, Okuda's like yeah I'm as good as advertised dude (laughs) and he made another interception you know this is fascinating to look at the, the mindset going into 2019 versus 2018 and one thing I'm I'm anxious to dive into here is We've talked about the schedule, how it breaks up. Now I want to get into some individual players. And one thing that that was huge in 2018, not only with just go play ball, play free, play as the underdog in 2018, you knew how good Adrian looked uh, in in, in 18 on the road in Columbus. You know how fragile Ohio State was, too, coming off the, uh, the Rondale Moore experience. 
but Nebraska had J.D. Spielman, and they had uh, uh, Stanley Morgan, okay, and they had Ziggy. And, I mean, and they had a pretty veteran offensive line. So they had a lot working for them, and they had a defense that, that made some splash plays, uh, gave up some yards, but also, I mean, that was kind of the, 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 the coming out party for JoJo Doman. Uh, I mean, he had a really good game. The, uh, the strip sack was huge. Uh, Luke Gifford played his ass off. No surprise there. You have some of those same puzzle pieces we maybe think in 2020 as far as, okay, you've got Wandale uh, for Nebraska, but you have some other options offensively, we think, right? We don't know, but we think with an Omar Manning, with uh, some of the uh, the options at receiver uh, to, to make it, you know, and have the ability to spread the football around. And then you still have a JoJo. You still have a Stilly. You still have... Um, some guys in a Colin Miller who's a senior. You've got a veteran secondary. Could it kind of match up for Nebraska in 2020 to, to have a, a better shot because of not only the experience but you know a similar team, I guess, with with some veterans on it. Yeah, I think it it, it should. I mean, you're you're entering year three, um, unconventional off season to say the least, which which might. You know, and this is this is true for any team. Might may have hit pause on on sort of what you consider a national trajectory, but um, strength in the secondary always always helps you. And Nebraska's going to have to lean on that. As I mean, it's not that Nebraska's inexperienced on, on the front line. They've got you know your projected three starters have played a good amount of football, or at least they've got three guys up there that have. They just weren't the starters last year, which is a little bit just kind of the nature of the game itself. So. For, for Nebraska, it's still, I think, and this might sound boring, it's probably not the, the most exciting way to look at things, but I think Nebraska's ceiling in, in 2020 is, is still set by can the running game get back on track um, and can Nebraska stop the run better than it has through the first two years of this, this era um, in the Big Ten. And, and if you can do both of those things, then – yeah, I think you'll see Nebraska make progress. Now, to, to be able to do that, you know, another big question for me is just how quickly is that group of very young wide receivers able to come together? We know Wandale's a threat, but you need at least two more to emerge. And, and you can include tight ends in this, which makes things more interesting. But how quickly is Omar Manning able to be a guy that opponents have to, to game plan around and know where he's at on the field? Um, Chris Hickman or, or somebody like that. Where, where are they at? Alante Brown was a guy who seemed to be doing really well um, in the brief snippet of spring football that we got. So there's still plenty of questions. It's still a really young team when you actually stop and start start to break it down. Yeah, and running back as well. You know what you have in Mills. You don't really know much else behind him. Um, Adrian Martinez is. Do you look at last year as an aberration? I mean, you can point out a lot of different factors, but just the the bad snaps alone, where you had kind of a Mackie Sasser like mental block, well done at the center position, <laughs> right? You just it just right it, it was it was so like we will probably the rest of our football lives never experience that again. We'll never watch that happen we hope <laughs> ever again uh i mean it's it's the only time in our football watching lives that we've ever where you're just like what i don't even know how to process the fact that you can't get a snap like it 
with that removed, hopefully, does that alone make for a different Adrian Martinez this year? Well, I think the snap thing, certainly, (laughs) which, you know, again, seemed like a small deal until you kept seeing it uh, throughout the season. And it did get better. Uh, I don't want to pretend like it was, it was all the game one for the entire year, but it was always just kind of an undercurrent of like, okay, this was something that bit them in the past. I think that helps um, more experience on the offensive line just across the across the line might even be a, a bigger deal. And then when you kind of look at, okay, but what are the concerns for Adrian sort of getting back to his freshman form? Uh, I, I'll put wide receivers there. Um, just a lot of newness uh, with, with a lot of guys. And in an offseason where, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they were out throwing together even when they couldn't be, you know, in structured workouts. Uh, but it's just that – kind of rhythm and familiarity takes some time to to get it. So if you look at, you know, I have the passer rating, which usually isn't my favorite number, but it's the one I have in front of me. Adrian was about 139 as a freshman and 130 uh, as, as a sophomore. I think realistically he's probably somewhere between those two numbers in, in 2020, I think based on, on what I've seen so far that when you stop and really look at 2018, um, and that's, that's just the passing part of it. Rushing was, was a really big piece of it that year too. Uh, I think it, it, it got more praise because he was a true freshman and because it was the beginning of a new era. Uh, and it was like, well, here you go. If he just continues to improve year after year, uh, Nebraska has this quarterback for the next four years. And that still might be the case. Uh, it just – year two wasn't an improvement. So so now what do you do? Do you assume that one was the total outlier and he'll be back to what he was? Or is his kind of natural state more somewhere in the middle? And I think I fall in that latter category a little bit. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, when you look at this 2020 team, uh, obviously guys are going to have to step up from performances last year uh, if this team wants to get back to a successful level. What, which position group on either side of the ball do you think is going to have to make the most improvement from their performance last year in order for this season to be considered a success? Uh, since you have guys there that, that played quite a bit last year, I think the, the first one that comes to mind is linebacker. Um, you just need a little bit more dynamic play there. And, and I think Nebraska is, is, is pretty good there in terms of you, you look at the top two uh, at inside linebacker. Uh, you can feel pretty good about that. You feel pretty good about what Jojo Doman, what we've seen him do in, in spurts. Can, can he kind of be that every down type of, of linebacker? And then you, you've got the, the other outside linebacker spot, um, which Nebraska hasn't quite had the, the perfect guy there yet over these past two seasons. Um, is, is it Caleb Tanner's time? So I think that group as a whole, um, it, and we saw some, some guys struggle uh, on the outside to, to match up. You know, teams are trying to get those, those matchup advantages. And, and too often against Nebraska, I think last year, they were able to get them and exploit them pretty consistently. So all of those things with linebackers, I think if you see a raised level of play there, um, you're going to defend the run better. You're going to be able to do some more things. And, and that could really kind of boost Nebraska's overall profile for 2020. Brandon Vogel's with us. A couple more minutes. Uh, Vogues, uh, let's spend a second on outside linebacker. Uh, with Dawson back, 
is that going to be a key ingredient to to get not only what you hope to get out of a Caleb Tanner, but also the development of, of a Garrett Nelson. There's a Nico Cooper as well as an option. We we talk pass rush and how vital it is, but also when it comes to the the run stoppage that needs to happen. I mean, Nebraska's edges have been attacked for quite a while in the Big Ten, and you can pick a school that's gone after Nebraska's outside uh, in the run game. Yeah, I, I, I think getting a new coach um, who will be familiar to, to some of these guys, um, but, but just kind of getting a fresh look at it. I mean, Mike Dawson's got a long history of, of, of coaching defense, and to be able to pull on all of that in his time in the NFL, you know, I, I think the players that remember him from his first stint at Nebraska all certainly respected him. I've always got a great mm-hmm. sense that uh, Dawson's reputation was was very strong among the team as a teacher, uh, and now you get to work with a little bit of different different group. So I, I think that helps. Um, I don't view it, I guess, as, as kind of the, oh, well, this is the magic wand that's clearly going to work. And I, I know that's not what you're saying, but, <laughs> no, but, um, you, but know, you need there's, something, there's, don't you? <laughs> you do. And, and you hope that this um, can sort of the insertion of a new coach can kind of be maybe that, that missing element and, and just getting some, some different ideas or, you know, you change the makeup of the room is probably the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Nebraska, you're looking at guys like, like Jojo and, and Caleb who really have some, some interesting skill sets and have, have shown moments, but kind of haven't been that guy. So, so then you've got a bunch of guys underneath them. Uh, you know, Garrett Nelson played a lot as, as a freshman. So see what he can do. And, and then some of the, the additions they made, you know, Nico Cooper, a junior college guy, it brought him in for a reason. So you need somebody to look like something we haven't seen to this point. And it's just hard to predict who that's going to be uh, and exactly how high they can go in eight games. Brandon Vogel. Vogues, have a great weekend. Get your smoker going. Watch some SEC ball. And I'll text you at halftime here for uh, some second-half suggestions when it comes to betting uh, Mississippi State LSU, okay? <laughs> Will do. Take care. There he is, Brandon Vogel, managing editor with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Cranach, uh, you still with us, brother? I'm here. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, That edge part, though, is so fascinating, isn't it, between just getting to the quarterback and stopping the run? It's Yeah, there's a lot in there. It's There, there, there are a lot of guys that – he. I mean, he really said it right, where it's just like you know, somebody has to be that dynamic person mm-hmm. that makes – the off script plays. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about, right? Like you just need that. It doesn't have to be exactly Randy Gregory. It doesn't have to be exactly Shaquem Griffin, right? But you, you need those off, off script playmakers. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say, yeah, it needs to be both of those guys. Eventually. (laughs) Great. I I feel like, Oh, go ahead, Mark. Oh, you got it, man. I was going to say, I feel like Garrett Nelson's name has been a name that's been kind of under the radar this offseason, which is surprising considering how much he played last season. But I feel like I haven't heard that much about him. The names have been Caleb Tanner and Nico Cooper and all these names. But Garrett Nelson's still on this team, you know? Well, Garrett Garrett will be fine. I'm not worried about Garrett, like, getting where he needs to go. But two heads are better than one. And there is, uh, I mean, let's be straight, man. Uh, uh 
it was a recruiting win to get a kid out of Georgia from a, a couple of SEC teams. I mean, you've got the athleticism and the body type. Are you talking about Caleb Tanner? Yes. Oh, he's on the all-bus team. He's on the maybe the all-time Nebraska all-bus team. Sure, but I'm saying, you know, he's ridiculous. You, you don't hear about a- Garrett. You don't hear about Garrett because you know, uh you're waiting on on Caleb and then to have them both do their thing together for a couple seasons together would would be fabulous, right? You, ha- so. you haven't seen either of those guys either. I think this is the Brandon is sort of alluding to this, but you haven't seen either of those guys really make splash plays. You just haven't, right? And You've and seen JoJo young, do it so a few you, times, but yeah, I get you. Thank you. That's That was going to be my exception to the rule was JoJo. JoJo you had, right? Like that. that is the one guy that you have seen off script, out of nowhere, you know, blow up a JT Barrett to cause a fumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he's got a, a, a different gear. But can he do it on a down-in, down-out basis? That's kind of been the question and the knock on him is that he maybe goes off script too much, freelances too much, forgets about his basic duties. Playmaking ability, he's got it. But can you trust him to be out, out on the field a lot? And then, but now, so now take that, think of those kind of plays, and real quick, name me the other players defensively that you've seen that from. I here here I've seen it. You don't from, see it. I've seen it from Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, he's there around the football, we'll and 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 when healthy, and we've seen just a a half a second of him. And I think back to the Michigan game, the dude that was balling even in a oh, blowout, Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams, when I'm when question. right. So you've got some splash players on that defensive side of the ball in Cam Taylor, that. Britt, Deontay Williams, and JoJo, right. Yep. Who, who joins the party this year? We'll get into that with Gary Sharp. The Iron Horse is coming up. He had one hell of a football game last night with Creighton Prep and Millard West. And uh, we'll have Sharpie give us a little reflection on uh, King Alex, man. Alex Gordon. We're hanging him up, retiring. Uh, what about so- Marich? Pardon me? Not Marich? No. You said Alex. Just- no, I'm thinking Alex the Lion. You know, you have kids. I have a little one. Uh, Why can't we talk about Alex Marge? Because he's in Australia right now. I think we should talk to Gary about him. <laughs> we, we, we can. Let's uh, talk about all the Alexes in Husker lore. Okay, that, that'll those work. Are the only two, Gordon and Marge. Uh, there is a few others. Uh, Who? Uh, I, I will, you got nothing. I will tell you in a moment. You got nothing. <laughs> we'll yeah. get to Gary Sharp in a moment. Marge Weekend Gordo, edition. Hail Varsity continues presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. All right, Cranach, uh, Alex Henry. Oh, good. good. Alex Lewis. Oh geez, yeah. Quayshon Alexander. Oh, stop it! You don't get to <laughs> you don't get to dip into last names and shorten them. You then Dan Alexander. Dan Alexander. Yeah, uh, we were Alex Lewis and uh, who was the other one that you just mentioned? Alex Henry, of course. Yeah, you know from '57. Yeah. Have Alex Lewis tell you about his trip to Taiwan sometime, or uh, 
Yeah, it was phenomenal. It's for off air. We say hi to Gary Sharp, uh, the Iron Horses, with his Sharpie. Good morning. How are you? Good. How about uh, Alex Lewis telling you about his trip to Miami and interacting with the fans last year in Lincoln? See, oh, with the kisses. He, Alex was. I, I met him at a uh, uh, get together in Taiwan. No, not in Taiwan. And I screwed up Taiwan. Where's uh, Indonesia? Bangkok. He was. He went on a trip to Bangkok. And and that's yeah. Thailand. You just named off like three that, that countries. Is- Can you- that is yeah. quite the difference there. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Indonesia, <laughs> thank God. Uh, Thailand. Somewhere, Taiwan, somewhere Taiwan. not in the United States. You would have been safer just to yeah. say that. I know. And, and we're going to we're gonna edit this uh, for the podcast. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Forgive me on my geography. Um, <laughs> so, no. But, uh, yeah, the interaction part. I didn't know about the Miami part. I, I got the explanation from him about the, the blowing kisses thing. Uh, uh, and he felt really wronged by that, by by how it was taken, because he was thanking the Nebraska fans. I didn't bring it up to him because you know we each had a beer in our hand, and he's three bills, and I'm not. So uh, it was it was fine. But back to the thing, we were getting into like famous Alex's because we were going to start off asking you to reflect on Alex Gordon. And his career, uh, Sharpie, because I know you, you're close with Alex. And uh, my family got to watch him kind of grow up playing ball with, with my brother being a teammate of his at different points in his career pre-Huskers. So it, it's just really cool to see a career come full circle with Gordon and all he meant for Kansas City and so many proud Nebraska fans. First of all, great human being. Um, yeah. Alex, is, Alex is the epitome of everything you want in a son, a father, a husband. Um, what a what a just a genuine person who we're lucky enough that we've all kind of gotten to see grow up around us. Um, you know, my first interaction with him, uh, of course, and, and last night I did uh, the Prep Millard West yeah. game, so I relayed this story. Two thousand double overtime Seacrest before you know the the finals went to Memorial Stadium. They're playing at Seacrest and Prep and Southeast double overtime game, and Alex makes an interception to to finish the game and get the victory for the Knights and the state title. He still says that's one of his best accomplishments as an athlete is that moment. And that is after, even after he hit the home run in game one of the World Series and <laughs> got to the College World Series. Um, but what a great athlete. Um, you know, he was humble. He Dedication, work ethic, uh, sticking with it. You know, it would have been easy after you know, all the hype with him being with the Royals and not making it at third base to be the next George Brett. He had to kind of recalibrate his career and get back after it. You know, I, I kind of knew this was coming. Um, I thought, man, in a year where there's no fans, there's no send-off. But when you think about it, Alex has never been into getting all the accolades. This is perfect for him. He can go out with the most important people around him, his family and his teammates. But the first time I remember Dave Van Horn asking about Alex Gordon, he goes, who is this kid at Lincoln Southeast? All I hear about is how great an athlete he is. Well, you know what convinced Dave Van Horn? Dave Van Horn never saw Alex Gordon. The first time he saw Alex Gordon was not playing baseball was playing football when saw him play football and he said i gotta have that guy on my team mm. and of course it was a no-brainer that alex was going to stay home but great career i'm glad that we all kind of had a little bit of interaction with him and we all have some great memories of what he did at lincoln southeast nebraska and his time with the royals and and you know what and i, and I think we'll see him we'll see him back in lincoln giving back um as much as he wants to and that's mm-hmm. fabulous well guy as a defensive back he was man that guy, he would hit and you. why not <laughs> Well, look at that was when, you know, Lincoln Southeast had that great run 
in that era, uh, our colleague Nick Baugh was the quarterback. You had the Rude brothers. I mean, they you know they had some really really good teams back then at Southeast. But Alex Gordon kind of he stood out when you saw him on the football field. He had a knack for making a play, and uh, you know he kind of carried that through his uh, baseball career as well. Yeah, and, and let, let's not forget either that he didn't even play in the outfield in college. And then he makes that transition in the pros and become the gold glove. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you, let me, let, me t- let, me t- let me tell you guys a quick story because that was not easy on Alex. No, he was supposed to be the next George Brett hometown kid uh, up through the system. They've been waiting to fill the role of George Brett many, many years later. And Alex was supposed to be that guy. And there was so much pressure on him. And he was just trying to learn how to be a pro on and off the field. And I, I think when he got sent back down to Omaha, that was tough. But there were people in the Royals organization that didn't give up on him because they knew Alex wouldn't give up on himself. And what he was able to do, to, and I use the word recalibrate his career and focus and learn a position that was entirely new to him to what he has grown into as one of the best left fielders defensively in the game. I mean, that's a pretty amazing story. But it all kind of circles back to that's who Alex Gordon is. That's the Alex Gordon that we know and that we've come to love. And I'm glad that he's still going to be involved in Nebraska. Um, you know, he's got, a, he's got a connection to Will Bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and plus, Alex, Alex is a Husker. I, I think we'll probably also see him play a few more football games uh, when we can in the fall and the uh, near future. What's really cool is my brother's team, his, the, the Southeast team he was on, and then all of the, uh, the, the Summer League games as well where that's where we first got to know Alex and his family a little bit. But what was cool was my brother team, Uncle Mark's senior season, they had a loaded squad. I think they went to state. And he had a bunch of juniors and seniors that you know played youth ball. And then they jumped uh, to, to working their way up, you know, JV team, you know, varsity. There's all these juniors and seniors there that have been grinding to finally get to state. And, and – Coach B, Coach Brohurst had a really, really awesome squad. And my brother batted third, and his protector in the lineup <laughs> was this freshman named Al, <laughs> which, which was just really cool. My brother saw a lot of good pitches, hit a lot of good pitches, and he, had his, uh, he got his well, wingman behind batting cleanup named Alex Gordon, a freshman. <laughs> well, Alex's brother was a pretty good baseball player as well. They're, yes. they're just a really good family. His late father was a wonderful yes. uh, baseball guy. Um, his mom, I know, you know, she got really emotional the other day when Alex was holding a Zoom press conference to announce his retirement. I, I, I thought he might come back for one more year, but you know the Royals are making their transition and they've kind of got a stockpile in the outfield trying to find enough of bad bats for him. And I don't mm-hmm. think Alex wanted to be a hindrance, um, so he steps aside. And, and, I, and I think you'll see on Sunday when the Royals play their final game at home that when he comes to the plate, he'll be as uncomfortable as can be because I would imagine that his teammates will come out of the dugout and give, them, give him a, uh, a standing ovation. I thought it was really cool. Um, they're going to preserve his locker in Kansas City. Yes. So that picture of... Uh, of him rounding the bases after he hits the home run against the Mets in the World Series that might be his statue in the outfield at the K someday. Um, they're going to put that, like, I don't know, what is it, a metal sculpture yeah. above the locker that Alex is currently in, and you'll know that that's Alex Gordon's locker when you get assigned that locker. I think it's really cool, and it just shows you what Alex Gordon has meant to the Royals and what the Royals have meant to Alex Gordon. Sharp, Sharpie, we were diving into some football talk. Really? And yeah, I know, but I want to get your take on Gordo here. 
who else is going to name me the, the splash players for, for Nebraska defensively? Who are the certainties, and who do you think joins the party this year? Well, first, let me say, and I was just joking there, because today <laughs> starts to feel a little bit like normal for college football because the SEC joins the party. It just, when we get to October 23rd and 24th, there'll be a bonus with the Big Ten. Now, who would have thought all 10 uh, FBS conferences are playing football? I think splash players. I'm not necessarily going to go really, really young guys. I'm going to go guys that we're kind of waiting for. And we've seen him, but I think he breaks through. Cam Taylor Britt, I bought all the stock in him this year. I think he goes to that next level this year in the way he plays and the way he leads uh, off the field. Of course, I have a man crush on Omar Manning. Mm-hmm. I think you will see him continue to develop. Watch Xavier Betts. I think Xavier Betts was on a good path before they, the first shutdown. I think he's a young guy that will flash. But, but I think I could pick anyone. And, and we've, we've all discussed this. For Nebraska football to move forward, to get to where they think they should be, that 2019 class has to have so many contributors in it. They have to have guys that now get their opportunity this year after a little pace last year. They need to break through, and they need to carry that mantle. And so pick anybody out of that class, and I think you'll be okay. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. All right, I got a sort of a, a theory, and um, and it's a little bit of a benefit of the doubt thing for Frost and co. I, theory is that for the most part, his staff are self-starter types. They're, they're, mm-hmm. you, you never had to tell Travis Fisher – Scott Frost, Barrett Rude, Greg Austin. You never had to tell those guys to work out, right? <laughs> like, they're yeah. just going to do it. Um, I think they inherited a roster. Again, this is benefit of the doubt stuff. Um, I think they inherited a roster with enough of the roster that was not built like that, and they couldn't deal with them. Like, they just could not, literally could not relate with that mentality, that approach towards football and life and all that. And over time, they have filled their roster more with those self-starter types. Past staffs would be, you know, guys like Amir, Brandon Riley, uh, Stanley Morgan. The dudes you just don't have to tell to work out (laughs) just because they're junkies. It feels like the roster is now has more and more of those than at any point in several years. One, do you agree with that? And then two, does that actually turn into a difference on the field starting this year? Mark, you're reading my mind. You might have heard my conversation I had with somebody on that staff earlier in the week. That's a great point, and you're absolutely on point. Because this is what I was told earlier this week, is that they've kind of seen the transformation of the roster. Not only of, of new faces that are coming in, and there's plenty of new faces, but they feel like... This is now a program that's transitioning to a player-led, not Mm. coach-led program, where the players are taking ownership in the program because some have been here, you know, for three years under this uh, staff, or they're now going into their second year, and they had some success last year, and all of a sudden they've got people that are listening to them, that they're transitioning to the player-led, and that is really a transformation that I think coaches are excited about because the right players are leading this team, not just the, the people that go, oh, they're old, so we have to follow them. It's, it's older guys, it's younger guys that have taken the mantle. And I was told there's, there's a sense of urgency inside of the program. Now, what does that mean in the short 2020 season? 
Well, it, it could mean a win or two. It could mean a better performance. It could be mean better at crunch time where mentally you're dialed in and you don't start thinking about the past. But I think they also think what you lay down in 2020 really gets you excited for 2021 because there's the caveat that everybody has in college football. It's a free year. So whatever you do this year, it's kind of like eight, eight tryouts for the 2021 season, and you get rewarded in 2020 with either a championship or you get to go to a bowl game. Like now everybody is going to be eligible. So I, I think there's some excitement around the program as they're moving forward. But now, you know, everybody, everybody understands the situation. It's got to translate to what you do on Saturdays. You know, you're not, you're not being rewarded for what you do Monday through Friday. It's not what happens on Saturdays. But I think the staff feels like they're in a good spot with some of the things that maybe stood in their way the first couple of years. Sharpie, to that point about player-led versus coach-led, and we've talked to enough coaches over the years, that's when you know you, you got it and you feel much better as a coach when the, the, the locker room is, is locked in and, and you've got that investment. With this stupid pandemic and, and COVID, has it forced the hand of some of these kids to be better at, at, at leadership and rallying guys to go work out on their own, to be self-starters? Has that hand been forced because of this situation where maybe guys that were skittish to do so, all right, this is a whole new different situation we've got to deal with. I'm going to step forward out of my comfort zone and, and lead by action, but lead by, uh, you know, that, that persistence. Uh, has, has, has COVID kind of pushed that, that mentality forward a little bit here by some guys that maybe were, were hesitant to step forward? Well, I think so. And, and I think it, I'll be very curious when they announce captains, yeah. who the captains are, because they may be picks that we go, what? But then you'll find out why they're a captain, because they did some of the most important work in the last nine-plus months for this program. They rallied guys together. They kept guys focused, guys that were feeling down, guys that had questions, should I stay, should I go? They were the ones that stepped up. I think this is when you hear a, co- or a player-led team, especially dealing with a pandemic when you're 18 to 22 years old, you've been playing the mental gymnastics for this long, you need somebody to lead you and, and to, to grow stronger together. And I think the program was headed in this way. I think we're going to find out that they've grown stronger internally during all of this. Because if you want to play football, guys, you're still here and you're still engaged because what they're going through is not easy. If you just want to be part of the team and you're like, eh, I don't know, you more than likely are not here or you're going to be further down on the depth chart. So this, this upcoming season will expose a lot about this program. I think more for the good than the bad. Um, but you have to be prepared for any bad. But I think everybody feels like they're headed in the right direction and they're going to try and get as much out of 2020 as possible, knowing that they have some momentum with a good recruiting class that they can go into 21 with you know, uh, some, some, some strong things to build off of. But they'll be ready to go. I, I'm pretty sure that in, in a month they'll be ready to go at Ohio State. I mean, they're going to have to be ready to go because you know Ohio State will. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily always work, Gary, but I think we've all observed Coach Frost and his program. They always have a plan for, like, everything, for every facet. doesn't mean it's always the best plan, but they don't leave a lot to chance. Does that approach – do you think that helped them this offseason? And do you think maybe they are actually have an advantage over other schools 
because of their diabolical penchant to prepare? Well, that's a good question. And I'm curious to see, you know, as we're starting to see the other colleges come back and the Big Ten's got a little bit longer runway, how many programs look different? Where coaches have a lot of time to go back and look at all 22 of every single game, not only themselves, but everybody else. So they do a lot of self-scouting. That's the big thing with this staff is they do a lot of self-scouting. So what are they dialing up or what is their approach different? I, I will tell you, now that you reach year number three, I think some guys in this program have been humbled. You know, they've had a lot of success early in their career. They're not winning. It's not a good feeling. People are asking questions. Hey, how come you can't win football games? Why are you 9-15 and 15 or whatever the record is? How come this program hasn't been to a bowl game in three years? There's some guys that got humbled. But I also think they respect the product now. They understand what goes into being successful because they've made the tour around the Big Ten for a couple of years, and they've seen, okay, this is how the Big Ten plays. Because I will tell you, the first year, I think there were a lot of guys on that staff that, over, that underestimated the talent in the Big Ten and what it takes to win in this conference. And then they started to adjust how they recruited. Last year, they still took their lumps. But I think this year, they're tighter as a staff. Um, and I think that'll work out well on Saturday. Um, but, but I do know guys are talking about Saturday. Saturday is important. That's what it should be. We know that you build up with Monday and Friday, Monday through Friday, but Saturday becomes important where guys make their money and guys make their hay. And I think that's what we're starting to see is that, sat, that all the preparation now doesn't stop on Friday. It goes into Saturday. And so if you feel good about what you've done all week, it's just another extension and essentially a practice on Saturday except you're playing a live game where there's keeping score and you're playing against somebody else. So I hope that kind of sense of urgency helps this program move forward because it's something that the program really we talk about but really have not had for a while. Nobody has really grabbed the sense of urgency and said, okay, this is real. I don't like losing. We've got to win. i got a feeling this staff feels that way in year three. Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse with his Sharpie, awesome uh, insight, great points, and Thanks for uh, jumping on with us this morning. We're getting closer, bud, and we'll uh, we'll do it again next weekend. Thanks for your time today. All right. Next week we'll talk about Dan Alexander stories. That'll be good. <laughs> Sharpie, you're, you've got the winner. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like interviewing Dan Alexander in a locker room when he refuses to get dressed. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does he even lift, though? No. <laughs> They, they, I, I'm going to stop or I'll get you guys in trouble. Yeah, no, that's fine. Sharpie, be good, brother. <laughs> Do you even work out, though? We'll, we'll leave it alone. That's too good. Okay, uh, we will step away. Thanks to Gary Sharp. Just leave that right there. Dan Alexander post game. Uh, <laughs> Which wanna, Husker would you like to see nude? Do you want to? Did you, you want a towel, Dan? Um, uh, <laughs> um, so we're ending it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just leave it there. Cranack, be good, husbands. brother. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll talk next week, man. Naked black shirts. All right. <laughs> Great weekend. Talk to you at four on Monday with Hale Varsity. <laughs> oh, oh.